electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. I am Dominic Chewin for Kelly Evans. Here's what's ahead on the show. The technology collapse. We'll get the technical take on the sell-off in the sector and give you two names who may be on the brink of breaking some key technical levels. Plus, they are not as sexy as Apple or electric vehicles or EV stocks overall. We break down one area of the market that doesn't get a lot of headlines but is outperforming in a big way. Will it continue in how you play it? And how far the mighty have fallen Chamath Palihapitiya's hot streak has been ice cold so far in 2021. We've got that story ahead as well. But we begin with the market sell-off as the stock slump continues. If you take a look at the picture overall, it's been a changing narrative. The Dow Industrial is still down about 600 points. Early in the day, though, it was the Nasdaq that was really underperforming. That's been the near-term trend. But take a look at this. As the market sell-off has maybe solidified a little bit more throughout the course of the day, it's the Nasdaq that has become the outperformer. At the lows of the day that we saw shortly after the opening bell, we were roughly down about 294 points. That translates to roughly about two and a quarter percent downside overall at the lows of the day. But as you can see, we've been steadily trying to churn and climb out of that hole. We are now off about two thirds of one percent after being off about two point two percent at the lows for the Nasdaq composite. Now, if you take a look at a sampling, if you will, of certain stocks that have been in the headlines as of late, these particular names have seen some interesting moves around. Snowflake, a recent IPO on the technology side of things, it's seen a huge fall off since its IPO, post-IPO highs, has now reversed course today and is up about 3%. Zoom Video is up about 3% as well after being lower on the day. So more momentum-driven trades, more newer technology. Meanwhile, Apple and Tesla are continuing to underperform. I would note, though, that Apple has touched today and gone down to its 200-day average price. It has found some support there as well. So Apple, Tesla, key stocks to watch. They have a lot more weighting than Zoom or Snowflake in the overall trade for the markets overall. So as we look at the big reversal today, what do the charts tell us may lie ahead? In this, is this intraday rebound a sign that the selling is done, or is it perhaps a head fake? With us now is Katie Stockton, Fairlead Strategies founder and managing partner as well. Katie, thank you so much for being with us here Can you take us through the charts? Was there anything that you saw pattern-wise in those charts that indicated that we could be seeing a broader-based technology sell-off? I mean, I think we're in the midst of it right now. The reason I think the NASDAQ 100 is outperforming today is because it is short-term oversold, whereas the S&P 500 and other benchmarks are not. So we are expecting a few days of stabilization on the back of that short-term oversold reading, but some damage has already been done. The NASDAQ 100 at the load today was down about 7% from its recent high. And that reflects weak short-term momentum and also weak intermediate-term momentum. This is within the context of the long-term uptrend. So we are looking at this as corrective, not the start of a big bearish reversal or anything like that. But we would note that the 50-day moving average, which sometimes is a little support gauge, has been taken out by the NASDAQ 100. And that puts the next support 
around the 200-day moving average, which I think right now is about 6% below. So that does create some potential risk. And what we're noticing with this growth underperformance is that some of the retests of support based on, in some cases, the March lows and or the 200-day moving averages are what we call unsuccessful, meaning we're seeing short-term breakdowns below those levels. So, so if there are those short-term breakdowns there, can, can you take us through specific parts of that market that you are keying in on as possibly having even more downside ahead or, or maybe trying to stabilize at this point, poised for perhaps at least a near to medium-term bounce? Right. So the near term, I think the bounce lasts a few days, and that might be something folks want to use as a selling opportunity, particularly in those stocks that have broken short-term support. Some examples might be a Baidu or a Qualcomm, and Everbridge is testing support. There's a lot of examples of that. And then we can also focus on the larger names that are very close to support levels, names like Tesla, of course, as it approaches its own 200-day moving average, and PayPal is doing the same. So as long as these levels hold, that would be an incremental positive for the NASDAQ 100. But you can see based on the small and mid cap action that there seems to be risk of a breakdown just given the relative strength loss behind the growth segment. You can see even in the NASDAQ 100 index that it's taken out a short term support level versus the S&P 500 index. So it suggests that beyond the short term oversold stabilization that we can expect additional underperformance by the technology sector. Katie, are there certain parts within this overall market narrative now that have acted perhaps more like tea leaves in your mind, maybe leading indicators? I know in the past some traders have talked about the semiconductor industry being one of those perhaps leading indicators. Other parts focus on mega cap technology, fintech as well. Some say momentum. In your mind, in your, in your career, have you, have you keyed in on certain parts of that market overall that, that you think are the ones who might tell us a little bit more about the overall narrative? Well, we sometimes get leading indications from relative strength work, meaning that loss of relative strength behind the semiconductor sector was somewhat telling. But also in this environment, this is a little unusual, but uh, 10-year Treasury yields have been trading off for some time. They lost intermediate-term momentum well ahead of what we're seeing now in the equity market. And up until, I'd say, early March or so, they had maintained a positive correlation. So perhaps they were giving us a cue that, indeed, the equity market was in store for some consolidation of its own. We're also entering into a seasonally challenged period. That's how I like to put it, from May to October. So it was also natural after a very, very strong April to see some selling start to kick in. So is this, Katie, before we let you go, I mean, it's the cliche time, right? Sell in May and go away. Is, is, is that the strategy this time around? I think things might get more difficult, um, but we've seen some real bifurcations on the sector level. That means you can still take advantage of the market on both sides. There's some sectors that are really starting to work here. We've seen breakouts in a lot of cyclical sectors. And now, of course, with this pullback, we're getting some more defensive rotation. You really saw that yesterday with outperformance from precious metals, from healthcare, especially pharma names, from utilities even. So there are ways to take advantage of a more difficult tape for the major indices. All right. Katie Stockton with the charts and the insights there. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. You too. All right. Well, stocks are cutting their losses after suffering their worst day in more than two months. At one point, the Nasdaq fell to its lowest level since March 30th. Hedge fund manager Stanley Druckenmiller discussed the recent market moves earlier today, this morning on Squawk Box. 
I think in terms of the recovery, it's had more to do with the rotation than it has with the stock market itself. As you know, Joe, that we started a very subtle rotation from August to October, which is accelerated now out of the COVID beneficiaries into what I would call reflation beneficiaries, reopening stocks, economically sensitive stocks. All right, so rotations. Will this rotation then hold? Joining us now is Jim Paulson, Chief Investment Strategist at the Loothold Group. And I guess that's the perfect way to segue into this particular conversation, which is going to kick off with, does this market sell-off have any merits to buying? Um, you know, I, I, I think what we're dealing with, I agree with the rotational concept uh, idea. I think it's been going on throughout this bull market. It is accelerating more towards economically sensitive areas, Dom. But I think what we're entering into here is what I call reval time. In every bull market going back to the 1980s, um, the market, when it first takes off, is stock prices go straight north and earnings keep going straight south. A lot of times for the first year of the bull, that's exactly what happened here. And the problem with that is, is ultimately if prices go north while earnings go south, the valuation metrics become very extreme and it sets up for the need to revalue the stock market. I think that's what we're uh, entering into right now. And the the reval is a good thing for the longevity of the bull. I, I think what we're going to do is cheapen this market through the end of this year. Um, most of that will come through better earnings rather than falling prices and then set up a much better valuation going forward. Just to give you an idea, we, we had a reval in 83, 84, 93, 94, 2004, 05, and 2009-10. And uh, it, it starts when the Earnings start to improve, which just happened in the first quarter, and when bond yields start to move higher. And we're right in that same mode right now. But in the previous ones, in the 1980s bull, the reval resulted in a 35% drop in the PE multiple while it went on, even though the market was flat for that year when it, when it got 35% cheaper relative to earnings. In the 90, early 90s bull, it, it, multiples went from 27 on trailing earnings to 17 over that same period of time. And in the early 2000s, it went from 22 to 17. And in 09, 010, it went from 26 to 16. I think, you know, we were over 30 times earnings, Dom, uh, earlier when this bull market, uh, just not that long ago. I think as we go into next year, we might have a trailing multiple that's like 18 and a half times earnings and looking much more attractively priced. So I think we're going to continue to have volatility. We could have a correction yet this year, but I think it's a buy yet going into next year. All right, it's a buy. So, so how much do interest rates matter? If this is a revaluation, oftentimes that revaluation is driven because of valuation concerns, and those valuation concerns are driven by higher interest rates. So if the right. interest rate trajectory is holding where it is right now, does the revaluation need to happen? I, I think it will, yeah. I, I think that the, we're having escalated fears about uh, inflation. I think our growth rate this year is going to be like 8.5% real GDP, something in that ballpark. Globally, it might be the strongest growth year recorded. And I think it's going to continue to escalate inflation fears. And I still think bond yields, Dom, are going to uh, end up above 2% yet before the year is out. So there'll be continued pressure on that keeping uh, stock prices, I think, in a trading range. 
But the good news is earnings, I think, are going to be spectacular. I, I personally believe we're going to have like $215 S&P 500 earnings uh, by the end of this year. And, you know, the first quarter, the annualized run rate on those first quarter earnings are close to $200 annualized share rate. So if we're already at $200 run rate, I maybe 215 is not high enough. If we end the year at 4,000-ish on a $215 earnings, you know, we're going to have a very attractively priced market going into next year. Even if rates are 2.5%, that's still some of the lowest rates in U.S. history with a, a, a below-average P.E. mobile sure. and another year of pretty good growth. All right, so, so, so then, Jim, if, if that's the case, if there is constructiveness to be had in the market right now, there are certain places that are better values than others. What exactly right. are those particular sectors, given that interest rate profile and, and the profile for earnings growth going forward? You know, I, I just look back at this, Dom, at the four previous reval periods that had interest rate and inflation pressures embedded in them. And uh, what I found was you think it, you might want to move to defensive stocks, but where you want to move is to tie yourself to the cyclicality of the economy. The best performing groups historically have been cyclical stocks, cyclical sectors, and small cap stocks. And, and I think that's where you want to stay weighted in the rest of this year. Small caps have just been revalued very nicely. And I think, Alpha and I, I point, cyclicals have continued to just plow ahead, but I think they might continue to do that in the rest of this year as well. Now, there could be a trade as we get closer to year end, and we know the growth rate's going to slow down next year. Uh, it might be a time at that point to trade out of cyclicals and smalls. And quite frankly, I think it might be time at that point to go back into technology again for 2022. All right. A, re a re resurgence of technology, possibly. Jim Paulson at the Luthold Group. Thank you so much. Great to get your thoughts. Thanks, sir. Tom. All right. Well, coming up on the show, it's the rotation play that's been under the radar, but still outperforming. We'll tell you what it is, where it is, and the names poised to make a run from here, possibly. Plus, Oppenheimer initiating coverage on Coinbase on inflation concerns. We just spoke about that a bit. The analyst behind that move joins us ahead to make his case. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. Here's one bright spot in today's market sell-off. Shares of U.S. Steel are up about 3% today on the heels of Morgan Stanley's upgrade to buy on stronger demand. And it's not just steel prices nearing record highs. The cost of materials across the board are rising. The sector is up more than 20% so far this year. So could materials be that next 
hot sector to jump in and buy. Joining me now to discuss this is Carlos D'Alba, analyst at Morgan Stanley. A lot of materials companies, raw materials companies in your coverage universe, Carlos. Let's talk through why the materials sector is not getting as much attention for its outperformance. It's an even bigger sector than energy, but energy gets all the spotlight these days. Yeah, hi, Dominic. Thank you for having me. Well, I think people have been away from the space for over a decade, and there is a lot of people in the market that are not familiar with the space, they're not familiar with the, with the stories, and they are catching up as the stocks go up. Uh, so it might take some time, but what I see from my conversations with investors is that they are doing the work, uh, they are feeling the pain of not having exposure to the names, but uh, you know, they, they, they are really interesting and looking into it. You know, you know, whenever I see commodity headlines like I've seen now, I, I, th- I think back, you know, maybe about a decade or so ago, we talked about things like commodities, super cycles. We talked about things like oil at $200 a barrel, that sort of thing. It doesn't feel as though it's getting as much attention these days. Is there a commodity super cycle in play possibly in the coming years? Uh, possibly. I mean, it's different definitely than what we saw uh, in 2000, running into 2008 and then 2011 that was driven by China. This time around is probably going to be driven by uh, the electrification of the world. The world needs to be greener, and that requires materials. It requires copper, it requires nickel, aluminum, silver, and steel. So that is what uh, is going to be behind a, a super cycle uh, this time around more than a specific country. So, so is it going to be driven this time around? It's not your forte, I know, but the last time we talked about oil quite a bit. This time it's very much more geared towards things like steel prices, iron ore prices, copper prices, th- those types of materials. Is there a way that investors can still benefit? Is there still upside left to go? And if so, where is the most compelling outperformance forecast to be? Sure. Uh, I do think that the investors can still um benefit from from the what the stock uh, the stocks in the space uh, have to offer particularly when you looked at the last uh, decade or so the material space the steel uh, in particular the S&P 500 steel sector relative to the broader S&P 500 has underperformed for more than a decade now uh, we are just barely at the same level that we were in 2000 before the prior super cycle so i think as steel prices remain higher than people expect and we now uh, see uh, whole roll coil prices, which is sort of the benchmark uh, uh, commodity grade for steel, staying above $1,000 throughout the fourth quarter. As people catch up to this idea and bake that into their numbers, they will realize that you know, there is much more upside to estimates and cash flow that the companies can generate, and therefore uh, you know, the shares will, will continue to run, in, in our opinion. You know, uh, we like X, U.S. Steel, as we upgraded today, we think that this is a transformational story uh, in the space. They acquired an electric car furnace in 2019, and then they completed the acquisition 100% late last year, and they are ramping up this, uh, this new venture, and it's going to benefit their earnings power in a, in a very good way, and it also is going to make them greener than they have ever been. So I think it's a transformational story that will benefit with higher uh, steel prices. It's going to help deliver their balance sheet, make it stronger than we thought and what the market, I think, is expecting post this acquisition. Carlos, uh, th- there's been, a, a, I guess, a prevailing thought right now that the prospect 
of perhaps trillions of dollars worth of infrastructure spending here in the United States at some point down the line could be a tailwind for some of these raw materials types companies as well. As an analyst, how much do you kind of factor in the odds and probabilities around a massive undertaking around infrastructure here in the United States? It's certainly um, a very bright spot for steel companies. Uh, those are uh, uh, you know, in, in the U.S., based in the U.S. Uh, now, we need to see what the form and shape of those project, infrastructure projects that will be supported by the, the stimulus uh, plan will be, because that will determine what type of specifically steel products, and therefore we are better able to define what companies will benefit the most. But broadly speaking, you know, steel is steel, and higher capacity utilization for steel companies in the United States is, has typically been associated with higher prices and uh, better uh, profitability for the names. All right. That's Carlos Duelba uh, with the call there on U.S. Steel. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, coming up on the show, this stock is total garbage. And that's precisely why you may want to own it as the reopening gain steam will explain the garbage chart. Plus, as we head to break, take a look at some of the online sports gambling stocks. Several bucking the downward trend so far today. International game technology, IDT up more than 14% right now. You can see there scientific games of 7%. Churchill Downs, Kentucky Derby, up 2.5%. We're back in two minutes. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to The Exchange. What a half day it's been so far. Now, at the lows of the session, the Dow was down 667 points. It's still down kind of there, 520 right now. But at the lows of the day, the NASDAQ, was down almost two and a quarter percent. Right now, it's down less than one quarter of one percent. So a big move here in the midday. We'll see if that has momentum in the afternoon trade. Meanwhile, Wall Street's so-called fear index, the VIX, is crossing above the 21 level. That's its highest level since March. And then take a look at airline stocks, firmly in the red so far today. The biggest names all down around 3% or so, United, American, Delta, Southwest, Alaska Air, all hovering right around those marks. Now, a few stocks, though, are bucking the trend. Palantir, rebounding despite falling double digits in the pre-market trade, the company reporting 49% revenue growth in its most recent quarter, and said on its earnings call that adding Bitcoin to its balance sheet is, quote-unquote, definitely on the table. The stock is trying to break its 10-day losing streak. It's still down 50% or so from its all-time high that we saw back in January. Those shares up 8% right now. Another outperformer today, Callaway Golf, on pace for its best day in a year after handily beating Wall Street estimates earlier on. The company saying demand for its products has been, quote-unquote, unprecedented as the pandemic recedes. So those shares up about 12%. But Roblox, the big outperformer today, up double digits after reporting a 161% increase in bookings for its first quarterly results since going public back in March. Those Roblox shares on the gaming side up about 15.5% right now. Let's send things over to Rahel Solomon for a CNBC News update. Good afternoon, Rahel. Hi, Dom. Here's what's happening at this hour. Federal approval today for a major project 
That would put dozens of wind turbines in the ocean, around 12 nautical miles off Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. The Biden administration calls it a critical part of its plans for renewable energy. The $3 billion project will create enough electricity to power 400,000 homes. Overseas, Queen Elizabeth opened the new session of the UK Parliament in her first public appearance since the death of her husband, Prince Philip. In her speech, scripted by Prime Minister Boris Johnson's government, the Queen laid out an agenda to boost the economies of England's north. And trainer Bob Baffert now says that he has found out that Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit was treated with an antifungal ointment that may have led to the test that found a banned substance in the horse's blood. Tonight on the news, a look at what all of this means for whether Medina Spirit will be disqualified as the Derby winner. You are now up to date. Dom, I'll send it back to you. Lots of drama still at Churchill Downs. Thank you very much, Rahel Solomon. Cheap China stocks, social media snaps, and time to pick your way through the garbage names. Literally. That's all coming up. As we head out to break, a reminder that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Today we are highlighting our own Melissa Lee. When I was 11, I wrote a letter to Kai Tong, who was at that time the evening news anchor on WABC, the local ABC station. I told her that I watched her every day and wanted to be a newscaster when I grew up, so she invited me to the studio for a broadcast. I will never forget how nice and encouraging she was, and it is a reminder to this day to pay it forward and help inspire the next generation. Welcome back to The Exchange. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar today. It's time for Rapid Fire. Here to break down the headlines are Tim Seymour, Chief Investment Officer of Seymour Asset Management, also a CNBC Fast Money Trader, and Bob Pisani as well, joining us, and Seema Modi as well. All right, first of all, the social media stocks presenting a mixed picture in trading today. Facebook, Twitter, Snap, Pinterest, all pairing their earlier losses. The hardest hit of the group, Facebook, is facing a very real threat from TikTok. According to eMarketer, the social media sensation is set to take over Instagram in Gen Z users by the end of this year and not even by a slim margin. It also says TikTok will surpass Snapchat in terms of total users by the year 2023. How real is this threat to the existing social media landscape? TikTok is not even a company, Tim Seymour, that we can invest in. No, it's very real. Gen Z uh, is is uh, an important demographic. It hasn't been the driver for social. Uh, but if you if you look at, at the story here, I think Snapchat really is the way to play it. I, I you know, look, they're somewhere around 40 percent uh, in terms of their Gen Z exposure. This is a company also as an investor and as a trader um, has had a pretty healthy pullback. But you heard Q1 numbers. Uh, they're going to continue to grow. First of all, Q1, uh, I think 65, 66 percent. That's tough to, to duplicate, although the guy in the second quarter was was good, maybe not enough. But next three or four years, I think they still grow 50, mid-50s, and I think that's extraordinary. So I, I really like Snapchat despite TikTok's uh, threat, as we call it. So, so Bob Pisani, I mean, the, the social media stocks have become kind of like this, uh, I don't know, a telltale of, of the overall market narrative. They've been momentum over the last couple of years. Is there anything that you're seeing with regard to the pricing action that leads you to believe that this particular industry social media is due for disruption from the likes of a TikTok across the Pacific? 
Well, just look at what's happening. I mean, the answer is pricing is coming down. The, the multiples are coming down. So the market's already telling that. But l- look what's happening. This just this discussion is happening shows you the speed of social media displacement. So Instagram used to be hot. Uh, now it's not so hot amongst Gen Z. Uh, you know, you get other things that are out there. Snapchat is still hot. At least I understand it still is. But it's sort of losing interest. Uh, and now TikTok is the hot thing amongst Gen Z. So the logical question is, how fast does this all happening. It's obviously accelerating. What's the new TikTok is really the question, Dom. And it's sort of like the opposite of what Andy Warhol said. In the future, uh, nobody will be famous for 15 minutes. <laughs> so, so, Seema, you are quite famous and you're a social media user. So, so what's your social media platform of choice and why? Uh, For now, it probably would be Instagram. But listen, just looking through these numbers, Dom, pretty commendable that despite rising competition, TikTok is able to maintain its leadership position, especially when you think just a couple months ago, the type of pushback it was facing from Washington, uh, concerns whether its parent ByteDance would have to sell off its U.S. operations because of the the criticism it was receiving from the Trump administration. But despite all of that, uh, it still has maintained its lead and really gaining market share amongst the Gen Z audience, which we know Wall Street really cares about. But to your initial point, it's still not an investable opportunity for mainstream retail investors because there's been a delay in ByteDance's IPO. All right. Well, let's let's kind of stay along the lines of tech and social media-ish because let's talk about social capital. Chamath Palihapitiya, because his SPACs, his special purpose acquisition companies, pre- and post-deals, have been on a bit of a cold losing streak so far this year. Virgin Galactic tanking more than 70% off of its high from back in February. Clover Health and Open Door Technologies both plummeting about 50-plus percentage points from their respective highs, as you can see there. Social Capital 5, the vehicle that will take fintech software company SoFi public, will also, as well as Polyapatia's other SPACs, are down around 30% or more over the past three months. Now, oh, by the way, guys, I just want to call your attention to something that's flashing on our screens (laughs) here. The Nasdaq, believe it or not, is now in positive territory right now. It just happened in the last couple of seconds. It was down almost two and a quarter percent at the lows that we hit literally within minutes after the opening bell today. Uh, A big move here. Again, we were down massively in the Nasdaq. And now for whatever reason, whether it's fundamental dip buyers coming in saying things have fallen down too far, too fast, whether or not it's short coverers saying that maybe this is a deep enough pullback, whatever it is, the Nasdaq Composite just took a peak at positive territory. I just wanted to call our attention to that right now. So let's now talk a little bit more about what's happening with these social media SPAC type companies, specifically with Chamath Palihapitiya. I mean, this is maybe a sentiment gauge, right? Mm-hmm. Bob Bassani, we'll start with you here on this. These were the yeah, hottest so- things in sliced bread just six months ago. Right. So these are speculative tech stocks, cybersecurity, 3D printing, a lot of clean energy, that kind of stuff. It does not trade on fundamentals, as you pointed. It trades on vague hopes in the future someday somebody's going to make a bunch of money on this. The problem is, you notice they're all down about 30% as a group. All of the stuff, about 30% is the baseline. And that's what's happening today, trying to figure out a bottom. That's why we're starting to rally, because some people are saying, okay, 50% down, that's enough. But... The problem happened in February when rates went up, concerns about inflation went up, and these stocks become much less attractive when rates go up and inflation goes up. Nobody wants to trade on vague hopes of future profits. There's other concerns when inflation uh, hits the fan, and that's basically been the problem ever since with these stocks. Seema, has the SPAC craze in your mind, is it going to, to, to cool off for quite some time right now? 
or is it just due for a bounce back again once people start to figure out that they want to be risk, uh, risk in the risk again so far, so to speak? That's the key question, Dom. I think increased regulatory pressure, does that make SPACs less attractive going forward? And when you look at Chamath, who's been an early believer and proponent of the SPAC trade, Virgin Galactic down 71% from its February high, Open Door, Social Capital, other names he's backed. Uh, you wonder whether this is just a moment in time where investors are reckoning whether this is a great investment for the long term or a one-time blip. By the way, it's not just Chamath. Even Brad Gerstner, who has alternator growth, he took Grab public through that $40 billion deal on April 12th. That SPAC is also down uh, double digits since then. Tim Seymour, does the SPAC cooling off provide you at least a, a little bit of comfort that maybe we could ratchet things up again later on this year? Well, it's the pause that refreshes. Look, things are very frothy, and, and the SPAC space, uh, as been discussed uh, around Chamath, is the cult of personality space. So investors are sometimes blindly buying uh, without looking under the hood. They're buying a group of sponsors, and, and that's, that's good and bad. But, but you know, note the performance of, of the sponsors. And I, I do think you're going to continue to see SPACs as a vehicle, uh, especially in a world where money's free. But this isn't just about you know, pump in the market. I, I actually think, you know, a private equity uh, type investment in a public wrapper is very important. I think what the SEC is doing is also very important, uh, not something investors should be concerned about, but actually clarifying the rules. And, and this pause and this slowdown is also very good for, for the SPACs themselves. Like the, the, the asset prices that they were all chasing have cooled off a lot. Uh, and I think that's good for all investors. I, I like SPACs as investments. I don't think you have to chase them at all, ever. And know what you own. Yeah, I mean, electric vehicle ones, we, we didn't even talk about those, but those have cooled off considerably here as well. We're not going to yeah. turn to China, where analysts at Goldman Sachs have identified cheap Chinese equities that investors should buy. Now, the list includes semiconductor stocks, as well as the names in the health and insurance space as well. But the big ones are the Chinese tech companies. You know the names. It's like Tencent, Alibaba, Baidu. They get a buy rating from Goldman analysts, which the firm sees as having an attractive valuation as well as solid growth potential. Only one of those, by the way, higher on the day. That's Baidu. The Crane Shares China Internet Index is getting hammered over the past three months. As you can see there, it's been a downtrend for sure. Let's start here, Tim, with you. You've been a global investor for, for a number of years now. Is yeah. there anything attractive about the pullback in Chinese Internet stocks that says, hey, we should go in there and buy? Well, it's attractive because, again, as, a, as an EM investor, uh, I used to invest in the MSCAI and the top end of, of the balance sheet in that index were banks and, and commodity companies. It's truly now repositioned to have some of the biggest tech companies in the world at the top of the balance sheet. Uh, the story around BABA, I think, is really one where, excuse me, investors should be excited that they got through this market regulator fine. Uh, if you look at the sum of the parts there, their e-commerce business, their, their, their internet business, their cloud business, their investments business, this is a very, very cheap global mega cap company at a time. Investors are, are speculating about what they should pay for NASDAQ stocks. Tencent, it's the world's biggest gaming company. It's the world's biggest incubator. Um, I think both under a lot of pressure from Big Brother. Uh, in other words, the macro uh, dynamic with the regulators in China. I think that's overdone. So uh, I totally agree with this call. I think investors just need to be in for the longer haul because I think volatility is inherent in these markets. Seema, Seema, that's, that's a great point that, that, that Tim brings up because it's big tech in China getting the same kind of regulatory scrutiny as big tech here from the U.S. government. How much is that regulatory landscape going to play into valuations? Should they still be a buy? 
Interesting you mentioned that. I love this quote from NYU's Aswad Damarad and Dean of Valuation who says the success of China's internet giants is closely tied to their relationship with Beijing. You know, a couple years ago, the thesis behind owning these Chinese tech stocks was look at the Chinese growth story, the growing middle class adoption of technology. That's the reason you want to own these companies. But now with this increased regulatory pressure, the pushback they're receiving from uh, President Xi and his administration, <coughs> that, of course, has created a, a number of headwinds for these stocks. Bob, there's also been a lot more attention on ETFs and mutual funds that go into these so that you don't have to pick yeah. your own stocks. How much is that ETF trend going to play out in Chinese EM type investing? Well, it matters a lot. Uh, MSCI is poised to announce that they may take Alibaba, which trades right here, the U.S. listing out of their indexes and use the Hong Kong based index. That's been going on recently. There's been some moves out of the U.S. markets yeah. here into the uh, Hong Kong market. I, but I agree with Tim. I think this was a good call by Goldman. It's they're cheap on a. I mean, look what's happened to these stocks. The big Cap, mega cap China stocks have had the stuffing kicked out of them much more than U.S. mega cap. Apple's down 10 percent. Alibaba's down 35 percent. Baidu's down 45 percent, something like that. They trade in a low 20. This is a multiple. That's very cheap on a, on a historical basis. So I think on, just on a relative valuation on a call, I got to give it to Goldman. I'd agree with him. All right. Big tech America versus big tech China. They're a big trade to play out in the next year. Finally, we've got we all know that saying one man's trash is, a, is another man's treasure. But is that actually the case with regard to garbage stocks? Literally, waste management, garbage. Waste management, waste connections, both lower today. But maybe this is a possible buying opportunity. Both stocks are up nearly 20% over the past year. Seema, you've actually been tracking this garbage trade for us. It's not really a garbage Lucky. trade. What exactly is the upside here left for companies like waste management and waste connections? Yeah, let's do a little trash talking. And now I'm not talking about J-Lo and Ben Affleck, but waste management services. This has been a winning trade. It's not the sexiest part of the reopening trade, Dom, but a trifecta of things helping these companies. One is you have more employees returning to work, residents coming back to the city. That's increasing the number of waste. That's increasing the volume of waste and the frequency of pickups. And then you have this recycling tailwind tied to ESG that's also increasing demand um, for these companies' services. So Jeffries actually calls it one of its best reopening trades that is underappreciated by the market so far. All right, so yes, Bob Pisani. These are names we don't often talk about, but is there an opportunity there just based upon, are we just hunting around for the next quote-unquote reopening trade? Yeah, we are, and I have a little, I'll tell you one point, and Seema is right on all those points, commercial garbage pickup has much higher margins than residential pickup. That really bodes well for them because that's what's going to start picking up. That hasn't been doing anything, and that's got a nice tailwind behind it. The problem I have is everyone kind of knows that who knows something about waste management. So this is a very expensive stock. We're at new highs. Look at that stock in the last month. We're probably close to 30 times forward earnings maybe 28 or 29, that, you know, historically is a very high multiple for waste management. So it's not like people haven't sort of figured out the reopening story. And this is a reopening story at its heart. All right. One man's trash, another man's treasure for sure. Thanks very much, Tim Seymour, Bob Pisani, and Seema Modi as well. That was your edition of Rapid Fire for the day. Still ahead, shares of Coinbase are reversing course today, now higher. And Oppenheimer is bullish on the stock, initiating coverage with an outperform rating and thinks there's a 48% rally ahead. The analyst making that call will join us next. And let's take a look at the NASDAQ. Again, now positive after starting the day 
down over two and a quarter, well, just around two and a quarter percent. Some of the leaders right now, Splunk, Zoom, Match, DocuSign, PayPal. You can see they're all up roughly two to five percent. The exchange is back after this. Welcome back to The Exchange, a mixed picture for cryptocurrencies today. As you can see behind me here, Dogecoin seeing the biggest gains up 9%, but still nowhere near its highs that we saw pre-Elon Musk and Saturday Night Live. Now, despite the volatility in the space, Oppenheimer is bullish on Coinbase, calling it an enabler of crypto innovation. It's initiating coverage with an outperform rating and a $434 price target. Joining me now with more is Owen Lau. He's the senior analyst at Oppenheimer, responsible for coverage of Coinbase. So maybe, Owen, the best opening salvo to you here is that's a lot of upside. Why? So first of all, thank you for having me, Dom. Uh, yes, there's a lot lots of upside because we see there's a misconception in the market that the higher the volatility of Bitcoin, that should benefit the trading volume of uh, Coinbase. What that means is the revenue should go up, earnings should go up, and we see substantial earnings upside from here. And the stock also pulled back by quite a bit from around $380 um, at the direct listing price to right now, I think, trading at around $300. All right. So, so that I get the market volatility. It's the same reason why we look towards maybe online brokers. We look towards some of the investment banks when markets go volatile because you can make spread. You can make you know, any kind of profits there. The Coinbase story is interesting because they continually say that the institutional investment is going to benefit them, which I understand it's a much bigger market. But the commissions or spreads that you make from institutional trading are a lot smaller than if I were to go on there on Coinbase and trade Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything else. So what about that margin compression story? The more institutions they get in, the thinner the margins. Yeah, I, I hear from you. I, I hear you about the, the fee compression, but I also believe this conversation is a little bit overblown. So we, we don't know the future, but we look at the asset classes in traditional exchanges like CME and ICE. We saw that there was a fee compression or revenue cap, capture compression in these tra- traditional asset classes like energy contract, uh, equities contract. Uh, but we also saw with the mass adoption, the, the trading volume, it's more than offset the fee compression or revenue cap- capture compression. So what that means is net net revenue would continue to go up. So that's why I think it's too early to conclude that the fee compression would impact Coinbase model. Um, and we, if, if we look at the traditional exchange, I would also argue that the trading volume would even more than offset the fee compression. All right. Owen Lau from Oppenheimer with the call. $434 there. Oh, oh by the way, hey, I, I just have one more before you leave. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what you think is going to be the big driver for, for cryptocurrency trading? Is it, going to, is it still Bitcoin or is it going to be more and more Ethereum going forward? Yeah, so that will be another wave. So the next wave would be Ethereum in, in my view. And also the next catalyst could be the ETF, uh, the Bitcoin ETF. If uh, Gansa is going to approve that, that will be the next big thing. All right, Ethereum, the next best thing or next big thing, possibly. Owen Lau, a $434 price target with an outperform rating on Coinbase. Thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. Thank you. All right, well, energy stocks are getting hit today as gas shortages begin to crop up thanks to the cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline. We'll get the latest and how much pain could be at the pump coming up next. The exchange will be right back. 
Welcome back. The fallout from the Colonial Pipeline shutdown continues, but drivers may find all of us paying for it at the pump. Pippa Stevens is here with the impact it's having on gasoline prices. Pippa, I will admit I have not filled up yet this week. It's only Tuesday, but my plan is to fill up tomorrow right here in New Jersey. Will I be paying higher prices? Hey, Dom. Well, you're one of the few people not filling up right now. It's the fourth straight day of the majority of that pipeline remaining shut down and consumers now starting to feel it at the pump, both in terms of price and availability. Pipeline, of course, a key part of the country's energy infrastructure, supplying about 45 percent of the East Coast fuel through a network that spans more than 5,000 miles. Now, gas prices were already on the rise ahead of this, and AAA sees them rising even more in the wake of the pipeline shutdown. As of Tuesday, the national average for a gallon stood at $2.98, just a few pennies away from that $3 mark and around the highest level since November of 2014. Now, traders say that tanks were well supplied heading into the shutdown, but now consumers are unsurprisingly worried. So they're heading to the pump and that's creating shortages with some stations completely out of fuel. According to the latest data from Gas Buddy, more than 7% of stations in Virginia are totally wiped out, Dom. So consumers hitting the pumps and that is creating this shortage here. It feels like the early days of the pandemic when you couldn't find paper towels or toilet paper on any, on any store shelves. It seems as though that Gas Buddy data that we just showed shows most of the outages happening in the south to mid-Atlantic part of that pipeline path. Here in the Northeast, it's a little bit different right now. Can we expect to see this resolved sometime soon? What's the time frame? What's it going to be? And what exactly needs to be done in order to get us where we need to be to get this pipeline reopened again? Well, time frame is completely key here, and we don't really have that much information around the time frame. The last time we heard from Colonial Pipeline was last night when they said that they expect their systems to be back up and running by the end of the week. Uh, but so far, only part of one main line is back up and operational, and that's only on a limited basis, and it's being manually operated. So we can continue to see shortages if consumers continue to hit the pumps in anticipation of there being a greater supply shortage. But it's really important to note that this is heavily localized. Sure. It will be concentrated in areas along the eastern seaboard. Additionally, there are ways... Uh, around this. Right. They can waive the Jones Act. Uh, Georgia has repealed the, the state tax right now on gas. So there's sure. certainly actions that the government can take. All right. Pippa Stevens, CNBC.com energy reporter. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.